You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Justice is Served. This is the show where we give you all of the latest in legal news. I am your host, Mari Fagel, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Lonnie Coombs, today. Uh, Lonnie, we're going to get right into the big case of the week. Mm -hmm. This was the big case of last week, this week, and probably (laughs) next week. Uh, Oscar Pistorius, the Blade Runner in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pistorius is accused of murdering his just beautiful, gorgeous girlfriend, uh, Reva Steenkamp. This was on Valentine's Day last year. He is in trial right now for it. And uh, even though it's so far away from America, I feel like people here have really been tuned in watching uh, the live video feed coverage of mm-hmm. the case. Maybe not live due to the time difference, <laughs> uh, but, but watching catching up on it. <laughs> yeah, they're catching up on it and uh, watching all the video coverage they can. There have been um, a couple disputes about things that they won't show in the trial. Certain mm-hmm. very graphic photos came out this week from the crime scene. Of course, uh, Oscar Pistorius is accused of shooting his girlfriend um, while she was in the bathroom, locked in the bathroom. The story the prosecution tells is that he very well knew it was her, very well intended to kill her. They had gotten into a loud, screaming, fighting argument. She locked herself in the bathroom. He shot her through the door and killed her. The defense is claiming that, you know, this is a very violent, you know, there's a lot of violence in South Africa, Mm -hmm. violence that we may not be able to understand here in certain, at least uh, not in all communities. And he claims that he thought it was an intruder, right? that he thought she was sleeping in bed next to him. Mm -hmm. And he thought this intruder had gone into the bathroom Mm -hmm. Uh, A little strange, but he thought the intruder had gone into the bathroom. He didn't check to see that she wasn't in the bed, and he shot through that door, and he did not know it was her. Right. Um, So I want to ask you a couple questions. There have been some interesting testimony. I think the prosecution is doing a good job so far of putting on the strongest case they can. Uh, To me, some of the strongest witnesses were the first, and those were the neighbors who claim they could hear a woman's blood-curdling screams that night. And the reason in in my mind why that stands out is because if they could hear a woman's screams, then he could hear a woman's screams. And if he could hear a woman's screams, then he knows it was her. He knows it was an intruder. That means the two of them were fighting, having a screaming fight, and he very well knew it was her. So what did you think of um, starting off with those witnesses? Well, I think it was a great way to start out. It's sort of telling the narrative of the story as the prosecution sees it. Now, remember, Oscar says he never heard anything from Riva. Uh, when he was, he got up, he woke up, he was bringing some fans in from the balcony. When he heard this noise near the bathroom 
area. And he believed that Reba was still in bed. Now, the reason he was concerned about the bathroom area that night was because he knew there was a contractor there, had left a ladder standing outside the window. He hears the window open. He thinks somebody's coming in. He grabs his gun and runs immediately to the bathroom, yelling to Reva to call 911 and then start shooting, never hearing anything from Reva. So that's the difference between what the ear witnesses heard and what Oscar says. Um, that's not unusual, by the way, for Oscar to react this way. We know in the past that he has reacted when he thought there was an intruder in his home by pulling his gun and going after him. Um, so the ear witnesses are interesting because two of them are married. They are a about two football fields away from Oscar's home, and they talk about very dramatic blood-curdling screams, and yet in their written statement, there's no emotion, there's no blood-curdling, there's no descriptors like this that now they both happen to have on the stand. But I don't care if they're blood-curdling, if they're dramatic, they're a woman's screams, period. And that's all I care about, because that means that he knew that he knew it was her. And that's exactly what the defense is going after. A very skilled cross-examiner, this defense attorney, and he's methodically going through each uh, prosecution witness essentially tearing them apart. You're seeing what the defense is going to be, and that is, this was Oscar screaming. That you don't know what Oscar sounds like when he has just realized he has killed his girlfriend. He is screaming. It sounds like a woman. And um, he was able to get a number of the witnesses to say they never heard what they thought was the woman versus the man at the same time. So it could have been the same person screaming throughout the whole thing. Now, there's another witness who's an eye and ear witness. He is a neighbor who's much closer, who actually could view the home of Oscar Pistorius. And he actually came to the crime scene because he was a doctor. He went to render aid. And he says he hears both of the screams voices at the same time. So that's a bigger problem. He also comes to the scene. He sees Oscar there. He renders aid. And he realizes immediately that Reeve is dead. Well, you mentioned something uh, that I find interesting, that we already know that in the past he has behaved this way, that Oscar, um, we know that he had a gun by his bedside, and uh, we've heard quite a lot of evidence of um, his past violent nature in my mind. Uh, One of his ex-girlfriends testified, one of his friends testified uh, saying that, you know, one time a gun went off in a restaurant, that he shot a gun through the sunroof of a car. Uh, You know, his girl, his ex-girlfriend testified that um, he had cheated on her with Reva Steenkamp and that's how they got together. Now, were you surprised? Obviously, this is a completely different legal system, but were you surprised by all of this evidence coming in? Because if this case were going on here, then so much of that evidence would not have been heard. Uh, in this case, it's a judge by, in, in America by a jury because it's prejudicial in my mind. Yeah. I mean, the people hearing it, the trier fact hearing it will think, okay, this person shot a gun in a restaurant, they shot a gun in a car, they've, you know, gotten in fights with ex-girlfriends in the past. They have a predisposition to act violently, to Mm -hmm. do something like this. And they make assumptions. Because this person acted this way in the past, they probably acted this way in the present case. And that's why here, most of that evidence wouldn't have come in. So what do you think affect... um, that is having on the trier fact in this case. Well, I think it's interesting. It's essentially character evidence. Like you said, it's very carefully kept out of the jury trials here in America. But there, 
Um, they have charged Oscar not only with the killing of Riva, but these two prior incidents are actually charged. So the prosecution has to put on evidence to prove those charges. And essentially one is where he was in a restaurant with a friend. His friend has a new gun. He says, I want to see it. Hand it to me under the table. The gun goes off. So it wasn't an intentional killing. It was a reckless handling of a gun where he almost shot his friend's foot off and it was in a very crowded restaurant. The second incident is when he's driving in a car with his friend and his ex-girlfriend in the backseat, girlfriend at the time, and they get pulled over for speeding by the police officer. And there's testimony that the police officer decides to, he sees Oscar's gun on the seat and he takes it and he starts to unload it and Oscar goes ballistic no pun intended, because he's touching his gun. He says, you don't touch another man's gun. After they get the speeding ticket and they're driving off, he's mad, and so he shoots the gun out the sunroof. These two incidents show that he is reckless with a gun, that he uses the gun a lot, but I actually think it can go both ways in this case. The prosecution's putting it on not only to prove the evidence of those crimes like they have to, but to show, look, this is a guy who has a gun all the time with him. He uses it recklessly. He uses it quickly. The defense can say, but that's why he did such a dangerous thing here. Thinking that it was an intruder, he just grabs the gun and shoots without making sure where is my girlfriend at the time. It's another reckless, quick act that doesn't mean he intended or premeditated to kill Riva, but he was just defending himself but did it in a very dangerous, reckless way. And... uh There has been some interesting video coming out of this trial of Oscar himself. He vomited one day. (laughs) Twice. Two uh, days, Or he vomited twice. (laughs) He's vomited twice when, um, you know, seeing photos and hearing about the fatal injuries to Riva. He's cried in court. He's had his head, you know, buried in his hands. Uh, What effect do you think that will have on, and this is a judge, not Mm -hmm. a jury, because I was thinking to myself, if this was, you know, 12 jurors and Mm -hmm. they kind of saw this guy vomiting so ill, wailing, crying, some people may be swayed by that. Absolutely. I don't think a judge will. No. And this is a very experienced judge. She's been on the bench for a number of years. Um, a jury, you never know how they might take it either. Some might say, oh my goodness, I feel so sorry for them. Others might think he's trying to manipulate us, which a lot of people think when they look at him. He has essentially gotten very emotional anytime a picture of Riva comes up. And uh, the first time, it was when they were going through the autopsy, and he was essentially retching the entire day. And the judge said, look, I'm concerned about your client. Can you, you know, take care of him? And his attorney said, it's not going to get any better. Let's just go on with it. This is the way he's going to be. And sure enough, he sat there the whole time with a bucket in front of him and a towel over him and retched the entire testimony. And then the second time was just recently when another photograph accidentally went up, and it was a picture of Riva after she was dead, her face. And just from that one quick trigger, once again, he vomited. So he's very emotional anytime it comes to anything about Riva. But the judge is smart enough to say, look, Okay, so either he has a queasy stomach or he feels very horrible about what happened to Riva, but that doesn't tell us was Mm -hmm. it an intruder or had he did this horrible thing and he feels horrible about causing what happened to her. Yeah, because in my mind, okay, he he probably is very upset. He did kill his girlfriend, but the vomiting and the crying doesn't mean he didn't intend to kill her that night or in the heat of passion, something triggered in that fight that they were having and he decided to kill her. Right. Um... I want to ask you about something else that is playing a big role in this case, and this is 
the door between <laughs> the bathroom <laughs> that was actually taken out of his mm-hmm. home and tested. Uh, this door is playing such an important role because uh, there's two different stories of whether or not he had his prosthetic legs on. There's been a lot of different stories initially up until now, whether he had his legs on first when he shot Mm -hmm. or not when he shot, but afterwards when he, you know, went in to try to resuscitate her, uh, whether he didn't have those stumps on, the legs on at all, and he was just on his stumps. Tell me why that's important. Well, mm -hmm. it depends on the side. So Oscar, from the very beginning, from the bail hearing, we actually know what his statement is because he gave a full affidavit at that time. He says from the very beginning that he went in there on his stumps to shoot the gun. It was just a quick reaction to protect. On his stumps, shot the gun. Then when he realized that Reva might be inside, he went back, got his prosthetic legs on, put them on, got the cricket back, and went and batted the door down. And then there was actually a key inside. He got the key, unlocked the door, and got inside the door. The prosecution at the bail hearing time said... Well, we believe that he actually um, batted the door down first, trying to get to her. And when he couldn't get to her, then he went and got the gun and shot her. But he put the prosthetic legs on before he shot, showing that he had time to premeditate. That was their big argument for premeditation. Now, during the trial, the prosecution puts their own expert on who says, I actually believe it was totally different. I believe that he shot first. And then batted the door down, and the whole time he had his just the stumps, no prosthetic legs. So it's very different from what the prosecution actually laid out as their theory, and and that's kind of um, not so good for the prosecution that it's changing like that. Not so good for the prosecution that it's changing, but also not so good for them in the fact that if he was on his stumps, that kind of leads to the theory that this was kind of happened at a moment's notice, exactly. and he was sleeping and got up was on his stumps because if they really were in this fight for a long time or something, you would think that his prosthetic legs would have been on or he would have right. put them on. Um, but or he might fa- not have ever taken them off. Maybe he, they never went to bed. Yeah, maybe they all came night. home and yeah. he still had them on and they were fighting. So the fact that he was on his stumps kind of, um, in my mind, really does help him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's interesting because when you actually watch the uh, forensic expert testify about, his, you know, stumps on, stumps off, um, and you saw the actual door, and he had the bat, and he was showing where the marks were, and he was hitting the door. You could see that actually, I don't know that an expert can say for sure whether he had his prosthetic legs on or his stumps anyways. Where the marks were in the door for the bats, it's kind of in the middle where you could be standing or on your stumps. But the gunshots are clearly on the lower half of the door, leading you to believe he was more likely much lower when he was shooting the gun. Yeah, so we'll see uh, how all of this evidence does play out. I want to give our viewers and listeners a chance to um, tweet us while we do our next segment of On the Docket because uh, for Tipping the Scales, our question of the week is going to be whether you think that Oscar Pistorius will be found guilty or not. So please um, give us your opinions. Let us know, and we'll be sharing that at the end of the show. Great. <clears throat> now, on to the docket. Our first story is Jason, uh, Justin, Justin, Justin Bieber and his video deposition. Now, if you haven't seen this, I don't know where you've been because everyone is talking about this. He was giving a deposition in one of his many cases. This was the one where he's, um, there's been some charges against one of his bodyguards who roughed someone up. And it was a four and a half hour, uh, deposition. Somehow, six minutes of this deposition actually leaked to TMZ. So we're all able to see this bratty disposition of uh, Justin, who essentially is treating this like, you know, he 
doesn't need to be there. What's he doing? He's talking to everyone like they're just peons. Um, you know, there's a couple of different situations he, that he's asked. Um, did you ever try to discipline your security guard? And he turns to the attorney and says, what, what, is he my son? And he laughs and smirks. Um, and then he asks a question and Justin says, I don't know, Katie Couric, you tell me. <laughs> uh, at one point he pretends to go to sleep there. And um, at one point he says, I don't have to listen to anything you say. Now, remember, these are attorneys. There's a court reporter. At one point, the court reporter says, I'm sorry, you're going to have to speak up. I can't hear you very well. And he actually <laughs> cusses out the poor court reporter saying it should be very clear whether I'm saying yes or no. Um, and at one point, the attorney then goes into asking him about Selena Gomez and Usher. And when he gets into Selena Gomez, Justin just literally goes into a whole change of personality, gets very angry, starts wagging his finger at the attorney um, and saying, don't you ever ask me about it. Don't ever ask me about her. And then when uh, the attorney tries to ask about Usher and saying, don't you think he was instrumental in your career? Justin thinks about it and says, well, you know, I was um, on YouTube and I think I was, he meant to say instrumental in my career, but he said, I think I was detrimental to my career, <laughs> which his attorney, of course, clarifies for everyone. <laughs> um, so how do you think this is going to affect him? Um, do you think this is in any way appropriate? His attorney actually supports what he's doing, uh, stops the deposition every once in a while when Justin gets upset, and has come out later and said, this was totally unfair, it was a setup, it was leaked to TMZ, this was done to hurt Justin, um, and those areas of questioning with Selena and Usher were totally inappropriate. Well, uh, hopefully Phil, our producer, can get them to uh, play the tape for us, because it really is... It, it's very funny in my mind. I mean, you were talking about, look, he, he's just sleeping. He <laughs> yeah. just doesn't give an F. <laughs> no. Okay? No. And um, I don't think it will affect him very much because this is his exact persona that it's been for the last two years. I mean, I was talking to some friends about this deposition and the videos that came out, and they said he has gotten the douchebaggery award of the year. <laughs> and it's only March, guys, and I don't think that's going to change. Yeah. We are literally talking about this kid every yeah. single week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that he shows a lack of respect for people and for older people and for authority. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense because in his world, he has all of these enablers who are around him who just feed into his every whim and fancy. And he is at the top. So the second he has to do something that he doesn't want to do, he's going to act like this. Yeah. He's a complete brat. Um, what was interesting to me is it, it was kind of a broad line of questioning yeah. for a more limited case about, you know, whether his bodyguard went after a photographer. Uh, the lawyer on the other side claims that Selena Gomez was indeed relevant because mm-hmm. she's been with him in the past when he's been around paparazzi and she's yeah. seen his violent temper. Uh, I don't know if she's going to be next up <laughs> to be, a to be called. Yeah. Um, Usher, I'm not sure how he really plays in, but that's kind of, in my mind, that's why so many celebrities settle suits very early yes. on, even if they could win in the end, so that they don't have to do this, mm-hmm. so that they don't have to do depositions. And I don't know if you're thinking of the person who I'm thinking of where the deposition video was the end of their career or the deposition transcript, but Paula Dean ended up yeah. winning the case or the case got dismissed. Yes. Um, but because she said some, you know, 
choice words in that deposition, her career is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we talked about last year, Lady Gaga was in uh, a lawsuit with one of her personal assistants, and she took a deposition. And um, in that case, and when these things happen, these celebrities are forced to answer these questions mm-hmm. that they may not want to answer. Yeah. Uh, Justin may just didn't really answer them at all. Right. <laughs> Normally you're forced to because uh, of the law. He doesn't really give an F, like right, I said. Right. Um, but that's why most celebrities kind of settle these cases early on so that they don't have to do something like this and something like this doesn't get leaked to TMZ. And if he ever gets in front of a judge, a judge is not going to let him get away with that. He'll be going into jail in contempt of court. I mean, it wouldn't go that far. So that'll be interesting to see. He has a great attorney, Ron Black, who I'm sure will stop this before it ever gets in front of a judge because I don't think even he can control Justin's yeah. All right. Next story. Roseanne Barr is being sued, this time by um, George Zimmerman's parents. Now, back at the time uh, during the trial, George Zimmerman was um, obviously a target for many people. One of the people were Roseanne Barr. She was very upset about the case. And at one point, she decided to go to Twitter and tweet out his address, essentially telling people, you know, that this is a horrible person. Um, and according to the lawsuit brought by the parents, they said it was an open and obvious call for vigilante justice and was intended to cause a lynch mob to descend. Now, the problem was the address that she tweeted was actually George's parents' home. George had not lived there for six years. And so the parents are saying, look, we had all of these, you know, horrible things. We had to move out immediately that night. Um, We suffered all these damages, emotional pain and suffering, mental anguish, loss of capacity for enjoyment of life. They had to incur all these um, expenses to go essentially into hiding for all of these years. And they're going to blame it all on Roseanne Barr. Um, and there's actually a precedent because Spike Lee did something similar during this trial. He also tweeted out he thought Zimmerman's address, but it was actually the wrong address there. And he settled a claim uh, by the couple whose address he actually tweeted for $10,000. Um, Zimmerman's parents are asking for $15,000 plus a lot more because of all of their um, emotional distress, etc. Now, the interesting thing is, um, since this lawsuit, there's a reporter who came out and said, well, actually, that's interesting because... The week before Roseanne Barr actually made this tweet of the address, I talked to the parents and they told me they'd already moved out at that point because of all the harassment, because obviously people had already started coming around the home, the reporters and the media, and they had already gone undercover and done all the things that they now blamed on Roseanne Barr's tweet. So do they have a case? Um, I don't follow Roseanne Barr on Twitter. I don't know if you do. <laughs> no. I don't know how popular of a Twitter following she does have yeah. or how many people actually listen to her when she does tweet out those things. Yeah. So I, I don't doubt that there was a frenzy surrounding their home and that they had to move out. But I do doubt whether Roseanne Barr's tweet <laughs> is responsible for that. I think yeah. it's just the fact that people in the community obviously know where they live and who they are. And this was a case that fascinated the, not- the nation, tweets or no tweets. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if she's really responsible for it. But it is fascinating to me that this is really the case that keeps going and going. I mean, it was a terribly sad tragedy. The trial is over. And yet I keep hearing George Zimmerman's name in some capacity every single week. He's signing autographs at a gun show. He, um, you know, is divorcing his wife. He's in a fight with his girlfriend. His parents are suing. Spike Lee's getting sued. I mean, this is the case that keeps going and going. And uh, it just every time I hear about George Zimmerman, I feel like it takes away from 
the true tragedy of what happened to yes. Trayvon Martin. I mean, the celebrity boxing match between George Zimmerman and DMX yes. that was going to happen. And uh, it's sad to me that it's kind of turned into the circus that it has. Yeah. And it seems like everything that Zimmerman continues to do is so disrespectful to the family, to the whole process. You know, another interesting little twist on this that viewers might be interested in is part of the complaint also um, alleges that Barr violated the Twitter terms that I guess we all agree to. I didn't realize this. When we go on Twitter, Twitter's policy states that users may not publish or post people's private and confidential information, including street addresses. So right there, there might be an issue. And for all of us who use Twitter, we be careful about that. I didn't realize that was in there. <laughs> okay, um, Whitney Houston. Here's another, um, as you say, another case that continues to keep coming up. There's an allegation by um, a Beverly Hills police sergeant who was actually there at the scene um, when uh, Whitney Houston was found and the police responded. He's filed a lawsuit because he says at the time when he was there, another police detective came in and he observed this detective to go to Whitney Houston's body and lift the sheet and look at her and say some inappropriate comments about her looks, that she was still looking good and perhaps some more uh, detailed comments. He reported those comments to his superiors, and he says because he reported that, he ended up getting retaliated against. He was taken off the SWAT team from the K-9 unit. He didn't get any promotions. Um, and so he's now suing because he's saying he's being retaliated for reporting what really happened here. Um, his superior says he didn't know about this lawsuit, but um, when he looks at some other claims that this sergeant made, he doesn't really believe him, essentially discrediting this sergeant. Um, do you think he has a, a lawsuit? I think it's a pretty weak claim. Um, it may be true, but I have a feeling that the police department will be able to point to other reasons why this officer didn't get a promotion. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the fact that he reported these comments about Whitney Houston, was that really the reason he got kicked off some squads? Really the reason he didn't get promoted? But again, it's kind of sad that it's like, let her rest in peace. Why, yeah. you know, two years later, are we still talking about Whitney Houston's tragic death? Right, right. Okay, Michael Lowen, <laughs> another family that cannot stay out of the news. So Michael Lowen is once more being sued, this time by a man named Richard Ritano. And he's a businessman, and he says that Lowen came to him in 2009 with this great idea that they were going to essentially dub Girls Gone Wild videos into Spanish and make tons of money. But he needed some startup money, and he was asking for $100,000. And Richard Ritano thought it was a great idea, but he said, I'll give you $25,000. And now he's suing, saying that it was a total scam. There were no videos ever produced. And he says that Lowen had told him that he had the rights from Joe Francis, but he doesn't believe he ever did have the rights. And so he just essentially was taking his money. So he's suing for $25,000 with back interest plus another million dollars to teach Michael Lowen a lesson. Um, do you think that there's anything to this lawsuit? Okay. Two things stood out to me when I <laughs> read this story. One, um, why? Th this was going to be called Girls Gone Loco. <laughs> <So> <laughs> when I say it, it sounds so ridiculous. For, um, you know, Hispanic people to watch the video, people who speak Spanish to watch the video. No one's watching the Girls Gone Wild videos to listen right. to the words. Everyone's the watching it for the boobs. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know how successful it would be if it was dubbed over because no one cares what the hell these girls are you saying know. or the producers or the narrators whatever they're looking for the skin so <laughs> you know kind of a bad business idea already second of all any person who's going to loan money like that 
probably should call up Joe Francis's office and check and say, hey, you know, I hear you've given the right to do this mm-hmm. and verify it before they, you know, willy nilly give out $25,000. So I think the onus is on him here. Yeah. And Michael Lowen has actually come out and said this thing's total lie. He actually met with Joe Francis and talked to him and Joe verified. So Michael's saying, hey, this is all just a, you know, a blow up thing. So perhaps it'll disappear quickly. Who knows? <laughs> but with Michael Lowen's name attached to it, it'll stay for a while. Okay. Conrad Murray, another name we haven't heard for a while, but supposedly he is now practicing medicine again. Um, he has a new job with the Trinity Ministry of Health where he's working with um, heart surgeons. Um, he's not getting paid. He's just volunteering, but he essentially um, is helping consult with um, children who have heart problems and essentially the, um, the, the department that's giving him the job is saying, look, we want him to use his contacts um, to help us line up doctors to help these six kids. Um, his medical license has been revoked in Texas and suspended in California and Nevada. Um, do you think this is a good idea? Do you think he should be allowed to do this at all? Well, he's doing it on a volunteer basis in Trinidad where uh, it's... They're they're trying to get U.S. contacts. I'm sure he does have U.S. Yeah. contacts. Yeah. He was a well-known doctor, or you know, in the states before this happened, and so, um, you know. What he did to Michael Jackson was terrible. The fact that he's volunteering his time and efforts to do this uh, back in his home country, uh, I don't think th- I have a problem with that. I'm more curious as to whether his uh, license to practice medicine will be um, renewed in any of these states. I don't think it will be in California. Uh, Texas is a possibility in my mind. Um, and... It is interesting because he's been trying to practice medicine again, and he wanted Katherine Jackson to write a letter saying that she, you know, feels that he is fit to practice medicine again. And apparently she was willing to write that letter for him had he testified in her behalf or, you know, Mm. given a favorable deposition in her behalf in the AEG trial. Mm. He backed out of his end. So she is backed out of her end. So um, it is interesting to me uh, whether he will be allowed to practice medicine in the U.S. again. So we'll just have to wait and see, and we'll keep everyone posted, obviously. Yeah, well, and I was always surprised during the trial when you actually looked at There were a lot of people who came forward and said he was an amazing doctor. He saved my life. He saved my family member's life. You know, this whole other life he had before he got um, connected with Michael Jackson. Apparently, he was a, a wonderful doctor prior to that. So at least a lot of people believe that. Yeah, I mean, they had people in his trial, um, several patients testified that yeah. he saved their lives, that yeah. he was a wonderful doctor. Uh, so, you know, I have no problem that he's volunteering in his home state if it's helping sick kids and he can really make a difference. Yeah. Great. So, okay. Uh, hopefully we've had uh, some time for viewers and listeners to give their opinions on the Oscar Pistorius Blade Runner trial. <laughs> uh, we're going to be putting it up uh, online as well, a poll of whether you think Oscar Pistorius will be found either guilty of premeditated murder Guilty of a lesser charge of, uh, in South Africa, culpable homicide, which is basically negligent homicide, that he he did indeed kill her, but he didn't intend to. Um, And or (laughs) the third option would be that he would be acquitted completely of the charge uh, of killing his girlfriend. So uh, I want to read some tweets from from some viewers while I pull those up. Lonnie, I want you to give your predictions on the trial. Okay. Okay. 
I think this is going to be an interesting trial. As the trial has progressed so far in the two weeks, what we do see uh, that can affect the outcome is, one, very um, shoddy police work. Although that's to be expected. In South Africa, the court system is very well respected. The police departments are well known to be corrupt and to do shoddy police work. So while we here in the States are shocked that the crime scene was very obviously moved around and manipulated and contaminated by the police, it may not have the same effect on the judge there who probably hears this in almost every case there. Um, I do think that there is some legitimacy to Oscar's defense there because in South Africa, there are so many home burglaries. 70 people are killed every day, murdered. Um, that house burglaries have gone up 70%. I mean, I'm sorry, it's 45 people murdered, 70% um, increase in the home burglaries. And it's very common for wealthy homes to be broken into by guns in a very violent way. And so a lot of people... Even the middle class have these private security guards, have um, surveillance, have guns in their home to protect their homes. And um, so that's a common response and a common fear. In fact, the police officers who responded to this crime scene said they were at another armed robbery call at another very wealthy home just prior to this. So there is some rational and logic to Oscar's defense. Um, What I'm thinking may happen is if there is... Uh, a reasonable interpretation of the facts that is exactly what Oscar said, and he really hasn't changed his story from the very beginning, Mm -hmm. that fits all of the physical evidence. And then there is perhaps another interpretation that fits the prosecution. But in America, if there's two reasonable interpretations, you have to go in favor of the defense, and so it would be defense um, verdict. I think that there is obviously this compromise in the middle of not the acquittal, not the premeditation, but the culpable murder where you say, well, obviously intended to kill. I mean, he'll admit that, but he was mistaken. He thought it was an intruder, and that wasn't a reasonable response. Because he, if he thought that it was an intruder and the court finds it's a reasonable response to do what he did, that's the acquittal. But if he thought it was an intruder and it wasn't a reasonable response, and he should have done something else besides just shooting into the door willy-nilly without doing anything further, that's the culpable homicide. And that could be a very possible verdict. Yeah, so your final answer is a lesser charge, culpable yeah. homicide. Well, I completely agree with you on that. I just think the way the case is going so far, uh, I don't think that, uh, obviously, it's different standards, but in American lingo, <laughs> uh, that beyond a reasonable doubt, you could prove that he knew it was Reva, that uh, he intended to kill her. But I do think uh, it was not reasonable for him to uh, just shoot into a door. Uh, you know, the judge could find plausible his theory that, um, you know, this is an area where there's a lot of Mm -hmm. break-ins, that he could have believed it was an intruder, but not find reasonable the fact that he just shot through a door without checking to ensure it was an intruder. Uh, I want to read some tweets. Elaine Reagan says, I think he'll get manslaughter at the very least. Uh, She says he comes across as a narcissist, and I think he just snapped. Mandy McLaughlin says, I think Pistorius will be found guilty of premeditated murder. Joanne Miller says, I usually wait until the defense is over, but if I had to decide right now, I would say culpable homicide. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting seeing, um, kind of the split right here. Angela mm-hmm. Hooman says guilty and a liar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Haley uh, at Meadow02 says, factually, so far, I think he's innocent. So reading these tweets already, you know, people are really, um, Across the board on this one. And it sounds like an even split, too, which they say in South Africa, people are very invested. It's about 50-50 there, too, whether they believe he's guilty or innocent. 
Yeah, so uh, we'll be watching this. The trial's expected to last three weeks, so uh, we'll be back next week. We'll probably be talking about this. We actually have some fascinating guests next week. We have the two professors who wrote a New York Times op-ed that we had discussed in weeks past in our show about whether um, rap lyrics should be used as evidence in trials, because uh, that's kind of a phenomenon that's been going on here in the States. Mm-hmm. So we will be talking to them. Be sure to uh, tune in, uh, tweet us your opinions on this case, any of the other stories we discussed. My Twitter handle is at Mari Fagel. I'm at Lonnie Coombs. And thank you so much for joining us. I'm wearing my green for St. Patrick's Day, so everyone (laughs) don't forget on Monday or you'll get pinched. Have a good weekend. From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in.